Questions are tough. So we're just going to, if we can just have one solid session, and then we'll break till tonight. Is that all right? So get some good rest, and we'll come back and hit it hard tonight. Praise the Lord. So are we ready to go? Okay, let's go to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. So I briefly described to you an Old Testament mentality so far. And we got into some of that. So that's where we don't want to be. Hallelujah. So now let's transition into the New Testament mentality. And that's we're going to look at uh, scripture we've all heard before. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Father, we just thank you for your presence in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature or a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Do you believe that? So you're not an improved version of what you were. All things have become new. All right, you still have the same color eyes that you did before you were saved, after you got saved. So he's not talking about your physical body. Is that true? He's talking about your inner man, your new creation on the inside. So when you were born again, you were recreated into the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that true? And so one of the things, the secrets of having a New Testament mentality is to realize that we are created, we're not evolving. A lot of times we say we're new creations, but we hear messages that make us think we're, we're in evolution. Okay, and this is the key. This is one of the things that Lake would say is that the, the secret into, of Christianity is in being. Just being who God said we are. Okay? So number one is we're a new creation. This is how to have a New Testament mentality. Uh, number two, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we're not evolving, but we are created in His image. Now we're growing up into Him. It's found in Ephesians. I've been quoting it a lot, but let's look at it. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 11, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers. For what? The equipping of the saints. For the work of service, or for the work of the ministry. Not the work, not church work, the work of the church. This is the problem. We get people busy doing church work. That's what happened in Acts chapter 6. The widows were, were having a hard time. They were being neglected. And then they ordained the deacons. And they said, choose from among yourselves. So it doesn't mean it was right. That's what, that's what they did. That's at the time the church was young. Are you hearing that? So they had two men that could, sh that could shake a city. One was Philip, one was Stephen, but they had them working in the kitchen. So they were busy doing church work. But they were supposed to be doing the work of the church. And then as, as you read on in Acts chapter 6 and 7, you find that Stephen begins to break out, and he's the first martyr, amen? But he was doing, he was doing the same miracles that the apostles were doing, but he was a deacon. Amen? So you don't have to have a title to do it. You just have to have the Holy Ghost full of wisdom, full of power. Amen? And so he, he was breaking out of, a, out of a, a church system. There are still things that have to be done that, that we have to maintain. I'm not saying we shouldn't do anything. Are you hearing that? So all the, all the fivefold ministry are basically functions. They're basically uh, 
job descriptions. There are specialists. But we have to remember that this is for the equipping of the saints, meaning it is the, the saints that are to do the work of the ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ. That's why Jesus said um, in John 14, He that believes in me, the works I do, shall he do also. That's unqualified power for everybody, whoever, whoever believes in him. Amen? It's, all, it's only false, false doctrines that will tell you, well, you know, he distributes his body in portions throughout his body. Like all together we can only have power. That's not true. That can't be true because he said, he that believes in me, the works I do shall he do also. Hallelujah. So we have to keep that clear. So we're new creations with the temple of the Holy Spirit in verse 13 of Ephesians 4. So this is why the fivefold is given until we all attain to the unity of the faith. So there's, there's a difference between the spirit of unity and the unity of the spirit. Unity of the spirit is found in verse 3. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's, that's just like the illustration I gave before. God brought me to my wife. She brought, God brought her to me. But we have to choose to stay together. We are diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Not the Spirit of unity. The unity of the Spirit. Unit, spirit of unity is what people try to get you to join everything. Let's just get along. Let's all coexist. Let's all, you know, all that religious nonsense. Okay? But the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, what, what is the bond or what is the link that's covenant relationships? All right, so it requires diligence. It requires effort. Do you see it there? Then in verse 4, he talks about being one body, one God, one Father of all. Now we're in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Say that, the knowledge of the Son of God. That, that means that the fivefold was given so that we know what Jesus knows. That's why Old Testament mentality says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. Then get saved. You can't say that. See, power is mechanical and God is predictable. God is the most predictable person in the universe. He said, no, no, he's mysterious. Okay, is your name Augustine? I don't know. That's who made all this. In the dark ages, that's where all these doctrines came from. The will of God is mysterious. We can't know the will of God. You know, we don't know why things happen. This is, that's where all that nonsense came from. All right? Because in the Old Testament, he said in Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Someone say Old Testament. Sin separates you from God. Old Testament. First Corinthians 3 says we have the mind of Christ. So you go through the epistles. Paul and the other apostles quote the Old Testament, and then he says, but we have the mind of Christ, or he gives the alternative. So how do we know that we have his thoughts? Through his word. So he's predictable because he says in his word what he'll do. He said, if you speak to the mountain and believe, don't doubt in your heart, it will move. That's predictable. Call upon me, and I'll answer you. I'll show you great and mighty things you know not. Predictable. I'm not saying that we'll know everything all the time because we walk by faith. Amen? But we can have confidence 
that the Word of God is true and that we can know what He's going to do based on what He said He would do. Someone say hallelujah. So that's what it means, the knowledge of the Son of God. It's not just having knowledge of the Bible. It's having an experiential knowledge, knowing what our Savior knows, knowing what the head knows. The body has to know. What's in the head has to flow in the body. So unity of the faith unto the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Hallelujah. So our destiny is to grow up into Jesus. We don't become Him, but see, God wants you to learn how to act like Him. So I can't act like God. You know, there's so many scriptures that tell us to act like God. Have the faith of God. That's Mark 11. That's literally what he said. Have the faith of God. See, we get tripped up because we think of we don't have enough faith. Are you hearing? That's where, that's where we get tripped up when it comes to healing. We don't have, I'm not sure if I have faith. Okay, how many people are born again? Let me see your hands. Okay, then you receive the measure of faith. So faith is not your problem. I'll say it again. Faith is not your problem. You have the measure of faith. You receive faith. By faith you're saved. So you can't be saved without faith. If you're not a believer, then you don't have faith. You see how we've made faith into a God. We've made faith into something that it's not. When, you're, when you were saved, you have faith. By, by, def- by definition, a believer has faith. So you can't be a believer and not have faith. You may have undeveloped faith. You may have faith that you've not activated. It may be immature, but you have faith. So then Paul says, prophesy according to the proportion of your faith. So that's kind of what I was saying. I I could lift so much weight. That's my proportion. But you have the same measure. Hallelujah. So faith faith is not a, a quantity. It's a quality. Why, how do I know? Because he said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, how big is a seed? Not big. It's the smallest seed. So, so you have to stop thinking of faith in terms of an amount. It's not an amount. It's a quality. Are you hearing that? Okay. There's only two people in the Bible Jesus said had great faith. There's only two. So if you're born again, you cannot have great faith. It's too late for you. You say, oh, darn. No, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. You know why? Because the first person he said had great faith was a centurion. Right? He said, Lord, my servant is sick. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. He said, you don't have to, Lord. I'm a man under authority. So the key to walking in faith is understanding authority. That's why he raises up the church with government to, get, to give you a picture. But you have to understand authority. Amen? So this man said to Jesus, when you speak, things happen. Things move because you're a man with authority. Is that what he said? He said, you have great faith. And he turns to his disciples. He says, I haven't found this such great faith in all of Israel. Hint, hint, you knotheads. That's what he did. He's getting on them. I, ha- I haven't seen this great faith, not even in Israel, Peter, James, John. And they're like, what do we do now, you know? Hallelujah. So what was great faith? Great faith just said, speak the word. My servant will be healed. Amen? But why was it great 
not just because of his understanding, but great because he was not in covenant with God. This man had no covenant with God. He had no legal right to the promises of God. That's why it's great, because how can you even believe? How can you trust in God's goodness to that extent? You have no connection with him. You have no right to this promise. And this, this man said, doesn't matter. I understand authority. Speak the word. Then the second person who had great faith was the, Syro- the Syrophoenician woman whose daughter was possessed with the devil. Do you remember the story? She comes to Jesus and says, Lord, my, my daughter's possessed, right? And what does he say to her? It's not right for me to give the children's bread to dogs. So healing is children's bread. That's why there's an element of this teaching or of this gospel that as believers, sooner or later, God expects us to grow up and to be accountable. So if I had, if I, you know, like we just went to lunch, there's all kinds of food on the table. There, there's bread there. But if I choose to not eat the bread, I'm going to be hungry. Right? So that's where keeping your own healing, that kind of stuff, well, that's where that understanding comes in. So just, just make a note of that. But I'm talking about great faith now. So the centurion had great faith because he had no access. He was, he was a Gentile. Now the same, the same thing. A Gentile woman says, come heal my daughter, and Jesus says, no. That's, in effect, what he said. I can't take children's bread and give it to, to dogs. And then what did she do? She pressed in, and she said, that's not going to work. I says, she said, I'm not taking no for an answer. Right? Now, picture that. This is God in the flesh telling her no. He's the voice of God, and God is saying no to her. And she would not accept that. Are you hearing that? So great faith is understanding authority. Great faith is not taking no for an answer. But remember what I said, you can't have great faith because in him all the promises are yes and amen. So God can't say no to you. Oh, you didn't hear me. I said God cannot say no. He told the woman no because she's not in covenant. She pressed in and got it anyway. He said, you've got great faith, lady, because it's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. So you don't need great faith because you're already part of the family. The bread already belongs to you. In fact, you received it when you received Jesus. See, it's not like a separate thing, like you got Jesus and then you got healing. Like it's something you receive. He is healing. He is life. So you, you have it. It's in you. That's why the secret to Christianity is in being. It's in learning what you've already received. Learning what's on the inside. Receiving that. Letting that come forth in you. With his stripes, you were healed. Are you hearing that? So you can't have great faith. And that's good news because he cannot say no to you. All the promises are yes and amen. If he paid the price for it in the atonement, then it's a done deal. So healing is not even a promise. It's not a promise because it's already done. A promise is something I'm going to give to you, I'm going to do for you in the future. But he said it's already done, it's finished with his stripes. You were healed. Promise is something that's coming to you in the future. Amen? So New Testament mentality learns to live in the past. Meaning, you learn to live in what's already done. You realize this is what he paid the price for. This is mine. And you learn what ground you have to stand on. Because, see, a lot of times our understanding of covenant 
goes a little haywire. I, I believe in covenant relationship. We're, co- we're covenant with, I'm covenant with my brothers and sisters. But see, at the end of the day, you don't actually have a covenant with God. He is, God has a covenant with Jesus. And you're in him. It's not like he comes and makes a separate covenant with me. Derek, I'm going to heal you. Thank you, Lord. And then I want, you know. It's in Christ. Are you hearing? Oh, we'll get to that. That's, a, that's an important thing to understand. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Not in your anointing, not in your calling, not in whatever you think you have. Walk in Him. Hallelujah. Having been firmly rooted, being built up in Him. See in Ephesians it says growing up into Him. So if I hear somebody that's a fivefold minister and I'm not becoming more like Jesus, I'm going to run. You hear that? That's all we're supposed to listen to. That's why in our network we're always talking about keeping the water clean, a clean source and so on. Because there, there is stuff out there that's not good, right? But praise God, we don't just have one thing. He's, God is building us. He's putting things on the inside of us, amen? So it says we're being built up in him, in verse 7, established in your faith. So your faith must be established. So you have faith. Just as you are instructed and overflowing with gratitude, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy. An empty deception according to the tradition of men. There's so many things we learn that are from man's tradition. And we're going to go through the sacred cows and discover what those things are. We we probably won't get to it today, but I'm, without saying it, I'm actually doing that already. So I promise I'll go through a list and you you can have all that in your head, okay? According to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity or deity dwells in a bodily form. And in him, say in him, you've been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and all authority. So in him, you're complete. You hear that? That means you are lacking nothing. Is it in your Bible? Am I making it up or is it there? It says you're complete. So when my daughter was born, she's born complete. She had ten fingers, ten toes, two, two ears, two eyes, one nose, hallelujah, one mouth. That's why it says be slow to, to speak, amen, quick to hear. Or you only have one mouth, two ears to listen, hallelujah, be slow to speak, quick to hear. So when Sophia was born, just like any parent, we wanted to see, is she okay, is everything, you know, you have, you have that desire. And when you find out, healthy baby girl, you say, hallelujah, now she's complete, Right? She's not going to grow like another arm. And, you know, when she's 13, you know, hits puberty and then another arm comes out. You know, that would be freakish. That would be, that, something's wrong, right? 
Okay, so the so the it's this is a perspective, guys. This is an understanding. Okay, if you're complete, just like my daughter was complete, now she's going to still learn. She's going to grow in wisdom. She's going to be educated, but she's going to learn to use what she already has. That's what it's like when you're born again. An Old Testament mentality sees it like God is always adding to you, like like you're lacking something, and you have to keep getting more, more of God. No, he's getting more of you. Are you hearing that? Because you're complete in him. So nothing is undone. That's what shalom means. Nothing's broken. Nothing's missing, right? Is that right, doctor? Double peace, right? So, so he's Jehovah Shalom. I mean, nothing is missing, missing. Nothing is broken. So it says he came and preached peace to you who are far away. So when you're born again, your spirit's recreated in his image and his likeness. You are now complete. But you're still growing. You're still developing. You'll, you're still learning. But the DNA is there. Everything that you need is there. So an Old Testament mindset keeps reaching out, grasping for straws like, the, like there's something missing. Go to Jeremiah 18. I hope I get to see more of Australia. I'm sure I will. This, because there's such beauty here. And it doesn't take long to just look out and see what God has created and realize that he's an artist. And, he, and he's got a sense of humor because he made us, Right? And I want you to go to Jeremiah 18 because I want to show you what kind of artist God was in the Old Testament. In verse 1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise, go to the potter's house, and there I shall announce my words to you. And I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter, so he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. This is the life most Christians live. They get made and remade. They get saved, then they backslide, then they come back, they get born again, and they, they're, living, they're living this up and down life. And they don't understand that God is not a potter anymore. See, in the Old Testament, a potter would take clay, and he would put it on the wheel, and he, there's water there, and he would begin to shape the vessel with his hands. So he'd form the vessel by his hands. Are you with me? And then as he began to shape it, he'd pack on more clay and then begin to shape it some more. And then he would take some more clay, pack it on, and he'd keep shaping it. And then if it was not right, he'd throw it away and make another one. And then he starts the whole process again. That cannot be the New Testament creation. That's how he was in the Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament, he could not deal with people the way he wanted to. He had to deal with people the way he was obligated to. He could only reveal his character he couldn't reveal his nature. His character is holy. He's a holy God. He's rigidly righteous. Right? There were elements of God that came out. But he could not deal with his people or man the way he wanted to. Because Christ had not come. That's why, again, when I say Old Testament mentality, I'm not saying we don't get revelation from the Old Testament. I'm saying we have to see Christ in the Old Testament and the, through the eyes of the finished work. Amen? Because there's so much, there's, it's, the Old Testament's so rich, and Jesus came to fulfill it. So that's why we still need it. We should, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, reading your Bible, you know, once a year, all the way through. That's a good thing to do. 
because you've got to get, get the Word in you. See, if you don't, you don't fall in love with the Word, you're not going anywhere. If you try to build it on a gift, you're finished. It's gonna, you're going to explode. If you just have, you know, if you just only eat one thing and that's, you know, anything that's good can, be, can become bad if there's too much of it. So you need a steady diet. Amen? You need variety. You, you, need, you need church life. That's part of your diet. You need your devotional life. Your one-on-one time with the Lord. That's part of your diet. You need to go out there and minister to the sick and witness to people show the love of God. That's part of your diet. That's part of your Christian life. It's only when we only do one or two things that we start, we start to you know, have problems. So God is a potter in the Old Testament. What is he in the New Testament? Let's go to Galatians. Because we're talking about a New Testament mentality. So, so far, number one was your new creation. Number two, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means he's living in you, but you must learn to let him dwell in you. There's a difference. Holy Spirit's in you, but some of you, he's under house arrest. You have him locked, locked in, you know, like in America, we have basements. You, you, know, you keep him in the basement somewhere. No, he, he, you want him in every room in the house. He wants to dwell. Amen? And number three is you're complete in him. So we're talking about how in the Old Testament he was a potter in Galatians 4. In verse 19, my children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. The word form is the language that a sculptor would use. If you look up the original language, the word to form is the word a sculptor would use. So God in the New Testament is not a potter. He's not using clay. He's not packing and packing and shaping and shaping. But he's a sculptor. So when Michelangelo was going to carve the statue of David, they asked him, how did you do it? And he said, I picked a piece of marble, and I looked at it, and I could see the image that I wanted. I could see exactly what I wanted to carve out. Are you with me? And so God in the New Testament, he, he is a sculptor. And so what is he doing? He takes the hammer, that's the word. The word is like a hammer. It breaks the rocks in pieces. And instead of adding to you, he's actually taking away. Because you're taking off, what, what is he taking off? Religion. He's taking away traditions of men, doctrines of devils. Everything that would hold us back. That's why it says in Hebrews 12, let us lay aside every weight. The sin that so cleverly besets us, that tries to entangle our feet. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's look at that. So he's a sculptor in the New Testament. See, that's a very different way of looking at God relating with you, isn't it? If you're always thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm getting something I don't have. then it's going to be very difficult for you to break through. The enemy will take advantage of that because, again, you won't feel ready. You feel like you're missing something. You're lacking something. One day, one day you'll become anointed, and when you get anointed enough, God will use you. See, all that is wrong. Did you hear me? You're already anointed. You can never become more anointed than you are now. 
You say, how is it possible? I'll show you in the Word. It's just like a woman saying, I'm pregnant and now I'm more pregnant. I'm even more pregnant. Now the, the baby may be growing, there's development, but you're not more pregnant. You understand the difference? Are you growing? Yes. Are you developing? Yes. But you're not more pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. Heaven, hell. Life, death. Save, not save. Righteous, wicked. It's easy. Hallelujah. Amen? Okay. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 5. You've forgotten the exhortation, which is addressed to you as what? Sons. So it's not even right for you to say you're a servant. Where are we at? In the New Testament. You're not a servant anymore. You're a son. Sons serve. We're sons that serve. But we're not servants. Are you all with me? Am I making you think? Sometimes we say that servant of the Lord, but you have to, you know, a lot of things I'm saying, you can trip over terminology. And I don't want you to be legalistic and then, you know, sometimes I still use the word anointing. What I really mean is grace. But sometimes you say it in a different way. So I don't want you to get so, you know, become a wordsmith and be so hung up on words. What's more important is the concept. Because Jesus, when he dealt with people, he didn't just teach them how to do things. He dealt with their concept first. Which one of you fathers, if his son asked you for bread, would you give him a stone? What's he doing? He's changing how they see God. He's dealing with their concept. Then he taught them to pray. Because how can you pray if your concept is wrong? How can, how can you touch heaven if, you, if you, you know, the wrong picture has been given to you in your mind? Okay? So Hebrews 12, my son, the, the exhortation that's addressed to you as sons, verse 5, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. He's quoting from Proverbs. Nor faint when you're reproved by him. So he says, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. So that's like somehow we're always falling into one ditch or the other. There are people that don't take it seriously at all. You know, they think God is Santa Claus and he's just, you know, there's, there's no discipline at all. He's just, you know, you can do whatever you want. And No, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. But then some of us fall in the other ditch, nor faint when you're reproved by him. Another translation says melt, don't melt. You know, you just look at one, sometimes one of your kids and just a look and they're just broken hearted because you're not pleased. He said, don't faint, don't, don't melt. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. All right, to discipline is to, is to put a pattern in us that regulates our lifestyle. That's what he does. That's what discipline is all about. He puts a pattern. The Father puts a pattern in your life to regulate your lifestyle. But see, you have to remember, even though that discipline is there, you're complete in him. That's what we forget. Sometimes we see the pattern. We see the regiment. We see what God is trying to train us to do. And we forget who we are. We're sons. He's dealing with us as sons, not servants. What did Jesus say to the disciples? I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. But remember, he hadn't died yet. He had, still hadn't shed his blood. So that was the closest term he could use 
without lying to them. So we're even closer than friends. We're sons. Hallelujah. I hope you're excited about that. I hope you believe that. So to discipline means to put a pattern in you that will regulate your lifestyle and to scourge. He scourges every son whom he receives. Scourge is the picture of the sculptor once again. He's taking away the excess. He's taking away everything that would block the image of Christ, the life of Christ from coming forth in you. And that's for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. That's frightening. Hallelujah. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us, meaning our earthly fathers, for a short time as seemed best to them, and he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. He goes on, pursuing peace and and, and all that stuff. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me me just read it. Make straight paths for your feet, in verse 13, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men and holiness or sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Is that in your Bible? So there's no substitute for a holy life. If you play with power and are not holy, you will get a devil. You say, what do you mean? I'm saying you're going to tap into another spirit and you're going to, get, you're going to be in Matthew 7:21. You don't want to live there. Are you hearing that? But if we're following and doing our best, God's going to protect us. Is he going to protect us? He's your father. Is he your father? So he's going to discipline you. He's going to deal with you. If you get lifted up in pride, he's going to deal with you. It's all right because he's your father. He'll correct you. Amen? Verse 15, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. So one root can defile many. That there be no immoral or fornicator or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. Isn't it interesting what the Bible called him? A fornicator, an immoral person, but he never, but he never committed adultery. He sold his birthright. God called it fornication. In fact, if you read, if you read what it says, because we, we remember we were talking about the church of the firstborn, Esau, whose name means red, he comes in and he says, hey, give some red to red. He was playing around because the beans were red and his name was red. So he said, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at the point of death. I mean, that's like saying you miss one meal, you're going to die. I know some of us believe that, but it's not true, all right? So he was, he, was, he was taking lightly the discipline of the Lord. He said, give some red to red. He said, Jacob was smart. He said, sell me your birthright. He said, yeah, what is it to me? I'm famished. So God called that a fornicator, immoral person. And then you read, after he sold the birthright, he actually went and did marry those that he was not supposed to, to marry because... Isaac, the father, told Jacob, don't take a wife from here. Go, go over there and get a wife. 
So this is New Testament, guys. It's in the New Testament. Hallelujah. For you know, afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no repentance, though he sought for it with tears. Okay? So, number four is you're not a servant, you're a son. Amen? That's you. You're a son. Now stay in Hebrews and uh, well, you just see in chapter eleven there's the famous faith chapter, right? Well, let me do this. Let's go. Let's go to Luke. We'll go to Luke and in chapter seven. So this is really going to mess some of you up. It's just going to be fun. All right. It's great, to, it's great to be able to do what Jesus did. He said, it's been said to you, but I say unto you. Hallelujah. All right, Luke chapter 7, verse 28. He's talking about John the Baptist. And Jesus says, I say to you, among those born of women, there was no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. There's no one greater than John in the Old Testament. You see it there? So according to Jesus, not me, according to Jesus, John the Baptist is greater than Moses. Moses? Not Moses. Don't mess with Moses. Come on. Moses. John the Baptist never part of the Red Sea, did he? In fact, he didn't even do one miracle. Jesus said, of those born of women, there's none greater than John. So John was the greatest prophet there ever lived. But he did no miracle. He was greater than Elijah. He never called down fire, even though he had the spirit of Elijah like we would term it, right? Is that what your Bible says? Come on, look at it again. Let it sink in. Hallelujah. I say to you, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of of God is greater than he. So according to Jesus, John is greater than any other prophet. Now, why would that be? Because prophets are men that carry a message. Amen? It's a message. So Jesus is saying John had the best message of all the prophets. John had the best message. Why? Because in the Old Testament, all the prophets are saying, Messiah is coming. The king is coming. And they all are revealing him in different portions and in different ways, different aspects. Hosea is the prophet of love. He's talking about how, you know, God's loyalty to the people, to the church. Isaiah is, you know, the prophet, the suffering servant. He's revealing Messiah in different ways. Right? Ezekiel, the prophet of glory. So they're each prophesying portions of Christ, attributes of Christ, and they're saying he's coming. The Messiah is coming. But Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest prophet. Why was he the greatest? Because he could actually point to Jesus and say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus said he's the best prophet because he can point right to me. And see, we have to remember that all of this was to lead us to Christ. And so much of the church today is getting caught up with stuff that's got nothing to do with Christ. 
So we want, we want to live under the law. We want, we want to go back and talk about mantles and we'll talk about all this stuff instead of realizing all of that was to get us to Christ. And then Jesus says, Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So, John's greater than Moses and Elijah and Elisha, and you're greater than John. So why do you want to go back and be like Elijah? Why do you wish you were Moses, you know, receiving the Ten Commandments? Wouldn't that be, I mean... So why are you greater? Because you can say, Behold, Christ in me, the hope of glory. So that's the potential you have. Amen? So what, what's, what's the point? There's no one in the Old Testament you can compare yourself to. It's number five. You're not Gideon and, and you know, treading out wheat in the rind press. Come on. Now, don't misunderstand me. There are sometimes prophetically there are things God can speak to us through. But I'm saying your outlook should be, I'm a son of God, I'm in Christ. Not I'm lacking something and I wish I was, you know, in those days. They wish they were in our days. Are you hearing that? You remember the woman with the issue of blood? Now I know it's healing. Well, let's okay. So are you clear about so far? No one in the Old Testament you can compare yourself to. Why? Because they did not have the Spirit of God. So when it says, you are a new creation, that literally means a new species that has never existed before. A new species. So that means there's no one in the Old Testament that you're like because that species called a new creation did not exist before. You say, but what about Hebrews 11? What about the heroes of faith? Okay, we're to imitate their faith. We're not to try to imitate them. Jesus is our example. Not Moses, not Elijah, none of those guys. What did he tell the disciples? Lord, they're not listening. We'll call down fire. What did he say? You don't know what spirit you're of. They're trying to go back in the Old Testament and be like Elijah. He said, I didn't come to kill people. I came to save them. You don't know what spirit you're of. That's what that Old Testament thing will do to you. Pull you back and you're confused where you are. So we imitate their faith. I want to imitate Moses' faith. Imitate Elijah's faith. Imitate Gideon's faith. Amen? But I'm not going to be like them. I hope that's helping you. Number six, there's only one person in the Gospels you can compare yourself with. Only one person. Of course, it's Christ, but why is that? Again, the Gospels are basically the Old Testament until he shed his blood. Now, we should read the Gospels. There's life in the Gospels, amen? But you have to realize what he's doing. Okay? I hope I... Read the Gospels. Please read the Gospels. Amen? I'm not telling you don't read the Gospels. I'm talking about a concept now. Okay? So in the Gospels, there's normally four types of people. The, fir the first one is the sick person or the person in need. In every Gospel story, there's normally several groups. 
One's the person in need, the woman at the well, the Syrophoenician woman, the centurion, the, the lepers, the blind men crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. There's a person in need, right? And then oftentimes, the, the second category is a Pharisee. The third category often is the disciples. And then there's Jesus. So those are four types of people, or four, four categories. Now, most of us, when we read the Gospels, we compare ourselves or associate or identify ourselves with one of those four groups. But see, you're not the woman at the well. Someone say, hallelujah. So you just got to decide who you are. Because they didn't have what you have. Now, I'm not saying you can't get revelation from that and preach from that, but I'm saying you're not them. You're not in the same situation. You're a new creation. You know, so you're not, you're not the person in need. None of us want to associate with the Pharisees, right? You don't want to, you know, so we don't want to be with them. We don't think of ourselves with them. But if we get a little more courageous, we think of ourselves like the disciples. But see, there's only one person that you're actually like in the Gospels. That's Christ. Because you're a new creation. So he's the only one that has the Spirit of God in him, and that's who you're made in his image. So when you read the Gospels, it's really the story of your life. You're, there's a cross that you have to bear. There's disciples that you have to make. There's a Judas that's going to betray you. There's a Peter that, that you're going to have to raise up. There's people that you're being sent to. Je- Jesus said, I have to get up from here and go preach the Gospel to other cities. So you're in him... When he was on the cross, the church was in him. Are you hearing that? We have problems when we separate ourselves from him. It's in him. So I'm not saying you can't, God can't speak to you through a gospel story and, and you receive your healing that way. I'm not trying to discourage you, but what I'm trying to say is practice seeing who you are in him. Amen? I started to mention to you the woman with the issue of blood. Now we know that was a physical, literal healing that took place, right? But do you remember in Isaiah, he said, our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags, and you know what that is in the Greek. It's the, the, you know, when a woman has her cycle. Our righteousness, mind you, that's how God sees it, without Christ. So this woman is a type of church. And this type of church is bleeding. What's, what is blood? Life is in the blood. So she's a church that's leaking life. And she's got this life leaking issue, this hemorrhage. It's, not, it's, not ever, it's years this way. She's been to many people, this church that's trying to connect. And what, and what happened? She's living a self-righteous life. She's not realizing Christ is her worthiness. She's still not sure who she is in Christ. That's a type of church that we have today. They're trying to do the work, but they're not, you know, they're not totally in righteousness. So it's some of Christ's righteousness, some of our self-righteousness, and as long as you do that, you're going you're gonna to leak life and you're going to be depleted of strength. And then what happened is she said to herself, if I touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made well. But how many know Jesus is not here physically? You can't touch the hem of his garment. He's not here physically. He's here in the spirit. Amen. When two or three are gathered in my name, there he is in the midst. So he's here. His presence is here. Amen. So she says, she says to herself, if I touch him. So what did she do? She began to see God's goodness. 
and begin to see his grace. And the Bible says that Jesus is in a crowd, and she, she touched the hem of his garment, right? And then he felt the power go out, and he turns around and says, Who touched me? Are you with me? So I'm, I'm not talking about the physical healing. I'm talking about a spiritual revelation of her being a church, a type of Christian. She's leaking life, self-righteousness. That's as filthy rags. But something happened to her. She began to realize, hey, my identity is in him. So she saw Jesus' goodness. She saw his grace. And power went out. And then what did he do? He turned to her and said, daughter, your face made you well. Why did he do that? Because in the Old Testament, he showed his back to Moses. He said, show me your glory. God showed him his back. And the New Testament, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We're being changed from glory to glory into the same image, face to face. Face to face. That's New Testament. So you've got to believe that. You've got to trust that. Amen. Does that encourage your heart? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's go to Galatians. I'll wrap this up here. That's why it's important to study righteousness. We're righteous by faith in Him. Amen. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3. Verse 1 You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Man, that's some strong language. That's all Galatians and Hebrews are about. A lot, a lot of people believe they're actually one book. That's why they believe Paul wrote Hebrews. Because it's actually a continuation. I don't know, but it makes sense to me. I guess it doesn't matter, does it? Because it's the word. You know, I wonder if Paul wrote it. I mean, just, please, just. All right, Galatians 3. If you foolish Galatians who's bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed... As crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from me. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? So, how did you get the Spirit of God? By the hearing of faith. When you were born again, you received the Spirit of God. You were born complete. Do you believe it? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he then who provides you the Spirit with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? It's not, it's not through a formula. It's not through a method. It's through the Word of God. It's by the Spirit of God in us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Even so, Abraham believed God. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Not every, not every Jew is the son of Abraham, those that are of faith. And the scripture foreseeing that God will justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying all the nations of the earth, or in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Abraham, the believer, not the apostle, the believer. You hear that? They that believe in me are blessed with Abraham, the believer. 
For as many as are for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law. Do you hear that? You're not justified by the law. Even if you keep the law, you're not justified by the law. So we can't go back to the old. That doesn't mean we don't live a holy life. I'm talking about the old law, the Mosaic law, all these old priesthoods, right? Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous or the just shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. So he's saying it took no faith to practice the law. Is it there in front of you? But what do we want? We want details. We can't, that, that self-righteous nature can't handle it. I mean, following Jesus is really simple. There's only two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's all he said to do. But we don't believe that. We hear that. We know it's true. But somehow it gets mixed up and we feel like there's all this other stuff you've got to do. I mean, it's interesting to look at other religions, how many commands they have. That's why Jesus is a lot easier. He said, my burden is easy, yoke is light, two commands, that's it. I mean, it's easy. That's why you lay hands on the sick. It's because you're doing unto others as you'd have them do unto you. That's, that's what it's all about. So that love of God expresses itself in different ways. It's, it's pouring a cup of cold water. It's buying somebody's groceries in line. It's preferring your brother in love. It's honoring your, your leaders. It's all of that. That's what it is. Amen? Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Say it out loud. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Listen to what it says. The curse of the law, not the curses of the law. The curses, all these curses will come upon you if you disobey. You're going to have all these things happen to you. That's Deuteronomy 28. It talks about the blessings and the curses. But this is saying, look, he redeemed you from the curse of the law. That means you redeemed from the whole law. Not only the curses of the law, the blessings of the law. You're redeemed from it. You have better promises, better covenants, so the whole thing is gone. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, Curses everyone who hangs on a tree in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, not the blessings, the blessing of Abraham. The curse, the law, the blessing. The blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. What is it? So that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So what's the blessing of Abraham? When God promised Abraham, I am a shield to you. I'm your exceeding great reward. Your seed is going to multiply. What is it? It's receiving the Spirit. It's not the stuff. That's why those blessings overtake us. Those things follow us. Signs follow us. We're not supposed to look for signs. Provisions follow us. We're not using faith to get things. You don't use your faith to get things from God. Faith pleases God. Faith connects you to God. And then God gives you things. You don't have to seek things. He said, why are you worried about what you eat, what you drink, what you wear? He says, that's what unbelievers do. But what do you hear in most places Sunday after Sunday? How to have faith, you know, to pay your bills. How to have faith to get, you know, to, to get a car. How to have faith for this and faith for that. Praise God, not around here. Amen? 
But that's what most people are hearing. So blessed are your ears for what they're hearing. But God never expected you to use faith to get things. God is your supplier. You use your faith to please God, and it's his job to provide. He's your father. He's Jehovah Jireh. So I said, Lord, I call forth my car. Lord, I call forth my paycheck in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, call your blessings. Send your angels out there. Okay, they're not your angels. They're his angels. You don't command angels. The angels perform the word. Amen. Mark 16 says the Lord was working with them, confirming the word with miracles, signs, and wonders. So you want to connect and get miracles, signs, and wonders? Preach the right word. God confirms his word. He doesn't confirm anything else. Amen? He confirms his word. But if we're saying other things, that's why, other, that's why nothing happens, because we're saying other things. Hallelujah. The blessing of Abraham is receiving the Spirit. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Verse 16, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say into seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. So the promise was made to Abraham and to his seed. Abraham and his seed, that's Christ. Verse 19, why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through the angels, by the agency of a mediator, until, say until, the seed should come to whom the promise had been made. So the promise was to Abraham and to his seed. Is that true? Do you believe that? Verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Heirs according to the promise. You see it? Heirs according to the promise. We'll wrap up. We'll get to Galatians 4 later, but I want you to go to a different scripture, please, in John chapter 7. Because we're talking about the Spirit. New Testament mentality has to do with the Spirit of God. Amen? Because of the finished work. John 7. Verse 37. So what does this have to do with healing? Everything. Because this is who we are in Christ. Amen? Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, John seven thirty seven, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit. This he spoke of the Spirit, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us by faith, that we receive the Spirit. He who believes in me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Hear what the Lord says. He who believes in me. He who believes in me. So why do we say we're thirsty for him? It means we're not believing in Him. You say, but I feel this passion to draw close to the Lord. Now, you can take what I'm saying too far, and, you know, I understand. Sometimes we sing, sing, thong, I'm, you know, sing songs, I'm thirsty, and so on. But He also said, blessed are they who hunger, right? And thirst for righteousness. And wh- what does it say at the end? They shall be filled. That's, that's in verse, that's in Matthew 
5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, or they shall be satisfied. Something is wrong in the church when we keep going after God like we don't have God. When are you going to find God? When are you going to get God? Oh, God, I want more of you. Well, when are you going to get him? Lord, I want to know you. When are you going to know him? You can't be our whole Christian life. We're crying out for God like we don't have him. I mean, don't you think that's strange? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't long for his presence. There is a manifest presence of God. And yes, we should commune and worship. But I think sometimes we, we're, we're thinking something wrong in our heads, and that's why it becomes burdensome to us, because we always are feeling like we're on the outside. Man, he's our father. We've received the spirit. He said, he that believes in me will never thirst again. Out of his innermost being will flow rivers. He's speaking of the Spirit. So what you have is zeal on the inside of you. Sometimes we mistake zeal or we mistake thirst for zeal. We say we're thirsty for God. That means you feel like, feel like man, something's wrong. I need, I'm, mm, ah. What is that? What is that thing that I am not feeling or sensing? I need more of it. What is, that's zeal. God, the Holy Spirit is in you and he wants out. He wants you to release him. He wants you to use him. He wants to work with you. That's what we're feeling. Hallelujah. Amen. We'll stop there for this afternoon. It's, it's five after three. Let's just pray. I just, re- I just really believe that God wants us to settle this in our hearts. Amen. I hope, I hope you're taking what I'm saying in context. Anything can be taken to an extreme. Hallelujah. But he wants us to know that we have his spirit. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord. Lord, for your love for us. And Lord, we are not just servants anymore, but we're sons of the living God, sons and daughters of the living God. And Father, we have received the blessing of Abraham by faith. We are the seed of Abraham by faith. And we thank you that you have given to each of us your spirit. And we're so thankful because you don't give it to us in parts. You don't give, you don't give yourself to us in increments. You gave yourself completely to me. You gave yourself completely to each and every one of us because we're your children. Now, Father, we thank you that we're learning how to operate in your spirit. We're learning how to be led by your spirit. We're learning, Lord, how to cooperate with you. And, yes, we're growing in wisdom and revelation and understanding. And we're we're growing in stature and growing in the power of God. But we just want to thank you, Lord, that we rest in you. And we thank you right now. Father, I pray for the cleansing power of your spirit right now. Lord, whatever burden is here, whatever heaviness has been upon us, Father, let times of refreshing just come from your presence right now. Let there be such a liberty for where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is liberty. There is freedom. Be free right now in the name of Jesus. Let this be a new day in your life. Let this be the dawning of a new day in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. That you'll begin to rise. That you'll begin to soar. That you'll begin to understand and know the Lord your God. That's what the prophet said. From the least to the greatest, they shall know me, says the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you're not far from any one of us. Oh, you're not far from any one of us. But, Lord, you said if we would call upon you, we would be saved, that we would, we would begin to know you. So, Father, continue to reveal yourself to us by the Spirit in the name of Jesus. Let your hand come mighty upon us. Take us up by the Spirit in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, we bless your name. We give you glory. We give you praise. We honor you, Lord. Let's just begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Jesus, have your way in us. Oh, we worship you. We thank you, Lord. 
Thank you for fresh water. Thank you for fresh rivers. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. The dew of heaven is upon us. The dew of heaven with the church of the firstborn. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to run farther than we ever thought before. In Jesus' name. By you I run through a true. By you I leap over a wall. Oh, it's by you, not by might, not by power, by your spirit. Oh, it's by your spirit in us. Hallelujah. 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 I just break every, every chain of the enemy right now in the name of Jesus. Anything that's held you back, any negative word that's held you back, every spirit of fear you, go now in Jesus' name. Oh, Father, thank you. With your word, you cast out the devil. With the word, you heal the sick. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the revival of the word and spirit. Father, thank you for Australia. Thank you for New Zealand. Thank you for America. Father, thank you that you're preparing us by showing us there are already things we can be doing now. Lord, and we're going to grow as we go. And as we go, you're going to come to the city. We bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen.